Good morning, everybody. Man, I, I was just sitting there thinking, yeah, everyone, usually I am looking at the, you know, Mike and I are talking and he knows what I'm preaching on and he figures out songs and stuff that go with it. And usually I'm very familiar with everything that's going on, but this week has been one of those weeks. You know what I'm talking about? Where you just are like, it's like you have all of these things circling in your life and every once in a while they all intersect at the same time. That was this week for me, just exhausting. And then, of course, I pick a message that took literally almost double the amount of time. And so it was just a crazy week. So I came in here, and I told Mike this morning, I can't wait to hear what you sing, because I have absolutely no idea what the songs are today. And I'm so glad I didn't, because they were so good to my soul. Mike, you just telling us about the prodigal son, it made me think that... When you said there are prodigals in here, I was like, I'm one today. I, it's been a busy week. I had, I've been texting somebody very close to me this morning, and they were just talking about how God has been doing stuff in their heart, and they're not even sure God exists, <laughs> but he's doing something, and he's drawing them. And I was like, you know, I'm feeling this sense, too, of just, wow, he's doing stuff. This is not part of my message, by the way. I've just been thinking about this while I was sitting over there. So I just wanted to ask you, before I, we jump in and we get going and I get all excited and spit a lot, and my daughter says, uh, go back and forth across the stage like a chicken. Um, <laughs> before all that happens, I just, what Mike said is so good. Maybe you're a prodigal right now. You know, sometimes prodigals leave for years or they're, they're just gone, seems forever, and then they come back. But sometimes we prodigals, we're just, we're human beings who feel distant from God, and we, honestly, we just start going our own way, or have so much to do when we get so busy that we just forget to turn back and, and recognize that the Father is, is, is just loving us, and, and going back for that embrace, and that hug, and, uh, and that time together. So just take a minute. If you're online, take a minute. Just in silence, say, God, thank you for your reckless love. Thank you for being a king who runs after his children. Because Mike's right, kings didn't do that. They never do that in history. But our king does. Thank you for loving us so much and recognizing that we, there was really no hope that we had rebelled and we were done. And so you took matters into your own hands, stooped down and became a human being so that we could understand what this kingdom is and what you're inviting us to and what love looks like, but then you could pay the price, pay for our sins so that we could be right. Just so good. So anyway, worship team, thank you. Let's pray before we jump in. God, I, I am overwhelmed this morning. Thank you for just a time where we're able to sing these songs, declaring your love for us, declaring that you are the kind of God who is so selfless and so reckless with your love that you would climb the highest mountain. You would do whatever it takes, including becoming a human being and dying on a cross by the, act, the very people you were coming to save. Thank you. May we reciprocate that love, Jesus. May we understand that. May we, may we be filled with that love. May it truly overflow in us. We need you so badly. 
And I have a feeling that in the season, a lot of us are tired. And we need just to sense your presence and, and that you're filling once again. So we invite you. Do what you will today. This is your day. This is your time. And we are your people. Do what you will. In your name I pray. Amen. Wow. So we've been in the series for eternity. It's called Following Together. We started it when school started. And I knew it was going to be a long series on purpose. We divided it into three parts. It was what is discipleship? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And we basically said it's hearing and obeying. And so then we spent about four weeks on what does it mean to listen to God and to hear God. And, and um, it was just, uh, for me, it was one of my favorite parts of a series of all time because it, I had to spend time and invest in listening to God throughout that series. And so many of you replied too. And I, we've, I've had more emails over the last couple of weeks than I have in a long time. Uh, just, you know, us kind of sensing that together. And then last week was supposed to start the respond, but um, Jim's message the week earlier was so, so powerful for me that uh, I actually changed it and spent that week thinking about, God, I don't want to run and I don't want to respond and I don't want to do a lot of activity and it not be from you and it not be in your power and your strength. And so last week we talked about don't burn out. Don't do stuff because you're supposed to do stuff. Don't, don't do a whole bunch of activity because you see a need and you just got to do it all. Make sure you're always responding to the Lord, spending time listening to him and saying yes to what he is calling you to rather than doing a hundred other things because it's not the, your responsibility to do everything. It's your responsibility to do what God is calling you to do. It's our responsibility as a family to do all of the stuff. And so that's kind of where we went last week. But today, we actually get to talk about responding. And it's, um, I, I, I like today's message. It's been hard because there was just so much. And honestly, this week was all about cutting. I had my message done, and then I realized you didn't want to be here till noon. And so it was like cutting it. And, um, and so uh, I want to begin with a story. Because this is a true story about a, a pastor who has been incredibly influential in my life. His name is Hugh Halter. He wrote a book called The Tangible Kingdom. Looks like this, just if you, if, if you like what you hear and you want to read it. But um, this book, I read it in 2008, right when it came out. And it, it fundamentally uh, impacted, changed, shaped my understanding of what it means to, to follow Jesus, what that looks like, what it looks like to live sent, to live as if Jesus has sent you because he has. This book what I love about it, and it's funny because I hadn't read it in a couple of years, and then as, but I knew the story, and so as I read the story again, I was so surprised because you're going to see some connections that we didn't see a couple of years ago. Uh, I was talking to my wife, by the way. <laughs> Forgive me, you know. <laughs> so the, the story begins, his story begins um, with burnout. Burnout, everything we talked about last week. He had been a pastor and he'd been a church planter and he had done it all and he had seen it all. He bought the t-shirt, bought the hat and was done. Hugh had led his church to merge with another church, a very culturally diverse, racially different church. And he merged, he was a part of merging these two churches together. It was so exciting to see what God was doing in these two bodies, bringing them together. It truly looked like a God thing. You know, it's one of those things where you go, there's no explanation. God is in it and it is powerful. When, when they had merged together, they, they just, they looked at this body of themselves and they said, this represents the diversity 
of our beautiful God right here. It was amazing. And it was an absolute failure. Absolute failure. He said that within just months, his dream church became a nightmare. Literally, I don't know how long, he didn't say, but it it looks like it was months, maybe a year. The two churches that merged together re-split. Can you imagine that? How awful that was. He, he was forced because of the situation, not because of people, but he, he resigned as pastor. He was, he was absolutely broken and done. It was so bad for him that he, there was no choice. He and his family, they decided they had to move out of the city just to recover because they were that wounded inside. That sounds familiar. So a long, long couple of months go by in Hugh's life. One point, he's invited to speak at a church planting conference in New York City. So, you know, he takes a break, he goes to New York City, starts going to this conference, speaking in this conference. Every night for dinner, he'd go to this little Irish pub in Queens, and he would eat dinner, and he, he started to get to know some of the wait staff, and there was this one server, her name was Fiona. He really just had some conversations with her. Fiona, she grew up in Northern Ireland. Her life had been stained by the violence of of the Protestants and the Catholic violence that just continually ravaged Northern Ireland back in the, you know, last century, I guess, you know, about 30 years ago. And she she grew up not hating God or not, she believed in God, but she wanted nothing to do with the church because all she had seen in the church was tension, fighting, murder. It was awful for her. So on his last night of the conference, he He leaves, he goes into this pub to uh, have dinner, and right when he walks in, Fiona yells to all the other servers, hey, hey, this is the guy I was telling you about, right here, this is the guy, you gotta hear the way he talks about God. And so Hugh said it was like Moses parting the Red Sea, because as he walked in, everybody parted, and then so... All the wait staff, just as he was eating, and they just kept wanting to talk to him, and they'd share a little bit of their story, and they'd ask him a question, and it was great. But then when the place closed down, he helped them clean up, and they, the, the owner, bartenders, the servers, they all sat around this huge table, and they just talked until 6 a.m. in the morning. They just talked. They were sharing each other's stories, and they were asking question after question after question. Hugh, he was like, he said that their questions and their anger at the church was so justified. It was, it was, it was so frustrating, and it, but it was so sincere. I wanted to read you his words about how this went because uh, he can say it better than me. He said, yes, they were jaded too, but their intrigue with me and what we were talking about seemed honest and open. I knew I couldn't talk about the church. I knew I couldn't share the four spiritual laws or even tell them I was a pastor. I just talked about the one thing I knew that they might like, Jesus. And the alternative kingdom, the alternative world he called the kingdom of God. And when I talked about it, he said, they loved it just as much as I did. They were lapping it up like puppy dogs. When it was time to part, they all hugged me. They let me pray for them and I left. And he said, as soon as the door slammed behind me, I met God again. Listen to this, these words. He said, in the same way that Aslan, A- A- Aslan from Narnia breathed on the frozen characters in Narnia, melting them back to life, so my heart that had been on hold and so wounded started to thaw and ache again. 
And I began to cry harder than I've ever cried. And I suddenly knew what God was doing. I knew he was saying, like the prodigal son, the father of the prodigal son, that I could trust him again. He was just in that pub with me. And there was no better place for me to be. The call was clear. I love golf, fishing, the comfort of my custom home, perfectly popped popcorn, and shifting the burden of people uh, uh, onto someone else. It all seemed like luxuries I would gladly give up for this feeling of being fully alive and fully engaged. The call was to get back in the game. The challenge, and it is a challenge, was to stop being jaded long enough to crack the wardrobe open to view God's kingdom once again, God's story once again, God's mission once again. I read this story to you, or I shared this story, because it wasn't religion and it wasn't church that intrigued these people. It wasn't Hugh's knowledge, and it wasn't even Hugh's story, although that was part of it. What intrigued them was Jesus, Jesus, and how he actually lived out the kingdom that he talked about. Because what we see in Jesus is he didn't just talk about this kingdom. He lived it. Everything he said, he lived. How he treated people, how he loved his enemies, and how he sacrificed his own life for the same people who were hanging him on that cross. See, Hugh, when he, when he had this conversation, when he had this moment with these people who were, they were just looking for something. As he started to recognize that God was actually just using him in, in a pub in Queens, sharing about Jesus, that he was experiencing power and joy and peace like he's, he hadn't experienced in years. He was feeling like, this is what I was made for. I've been a pastor. I've been leading church. I've started churches. I've consulted church planters. But Sitting in a bar in Queens, New York, talking to Fiona and the bartenders and the boss, this brought him life like he had not experienced before, or at least in a long time. In this message, I'm calling that moment what he was doing, living scent. Our focal passage today is going to be in John 20, 21. We're mostly going to stick with this one verse, although I might jump around a little bit. But this one passage, it's Jesus' first statement to his disciples after the resurrection. So it's Sunday evening. The disciples are all together. They're all still grieving about the crucifixion just, just happened Friday, Friday afternoon. And so they're together, and Jesus unexpectedly stands right there before him. It, it says in the scripture right before 21 that he showed him his, the, the, the nail wounds in his hands. They, they showed, he showed them the, the whip mark in his side. And then he said these words, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me, I send you. And then he breathed on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But I want to focus on those words. As the Father sends me, I send you. Sending you for what? Sending you to do what? I mean, what? Okay, Jesus, you're sending me. What, what, am, I, what am I being sent to do? And Jesus is sending them and us to actually live out in the world around us what the kingdom of God looks like right here, right now. Jesus was sending them out as a preview of what God's kingdom looked like. And if you want to know what God's kingdom looks like, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
Those three chapters spell out the most upside down, crazy alternative world you could ever imagine. And Jesus is sending them and us out to live out that kingdom. Basically, followers of Jesus are to be the movie trailer. Because you know how a good movie trailer, if you go and you're, you're, in, you're, you're here to watch a certain feature and the movie trailer comes up, you know it's a win when you see somebody turn over to, to their neighbor and go, I want to see that one, right? That's how you know a, good, a trailer is really good because everybody in the theater goes, I want to see that movie. Well, when followers of Jesus live out the kingdom of God, when we're the trailer, we're the preview, people say, I want to see a world like that. I want to see the world they come from because it's so different. Nobody blesses those who persecute them. Nobody loves people who hate them or lie about them. Who does that? Who thinks about people all the time who, who, who can give them nothing? You know, but Jesus is, that's the kingdom. That's, that's the way Jesus was. And he's sending his followers, you and me, to love and bless the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. All that's wrapped up into this one verse. Peace be with you. This is not about anxiety. This is not about tension. My peace is with you. As the Father sent me, Jesus said, I send you. And then he breathed on them and filled them with the Holy Spirit, with the power to actually do it. Amazing to me. The Holy Spirit fills us and grows us and unites us with the Father so that we can live sent. When we learn to hear his voice, and that's what we've been talking about, you know, for several weeks. How do you hear his voice? But then... At some point, we respond to what he's telling us, and that's what it means to live sent. And what's that look like? One word, blessing. Blessing. I want to share one more story with you. Christianity began in the Roman, in, in the Roman uh, Empire. We, we know that. The Romans were power-driven. They loved success. They loved organization. They loved achievement, and they loved triumph. They would say as people were hanging on the cross that it was because that is going to create peace. So they used violence to shove peace down people's throat. But it was always about triumph and victory. And the number of Jesus followers were small at the beginning, as you can imagine. I mean, it was 12, and then at 3,000 in one day, and then persecution happened, and they started scattering all over the place. And so little pockets of Christianity were popping up all over the place. But, it, I mean, like, literally, it didn't take long before almost every segment of society in the Roman Empire was affected by Christians, Jesus followers. And the Christians, man, I'm telling you, they were such a mystery to the Roman people. Ordinary people would suddenly choose to follow Jesus, and out of nowhere, it seemed, they would quickly become devoted to these acts of kindness and sacrifice, and they would love their enemies even when they were persecuted. They, they would still bless people. They would care for the poor, and they would feed the hungry, and it was, it was so stunningly different. It was a world people had never seen before. Their influence was so surprising that within just about 200 years, the Roman Emperor Julian actually feared that Christians might take over the empire. This is what he looks like. All right, okay, that's not a picture, but, you know, they didn't have photographs back then. Julian cracks me up. He has letters that he wrote to his leaders about how regular Christian people helped poor people while the pagan priests ignored them. And Julian was angry at Christians because they were gaining so much influence by helping poor people. <laughs> He said, people were being drawn to the, the Jesus community because rich and poor would eat together. 
disgraceful. They would have different races at the same table eating together. The Romans thought that was disgusting, yet here were the Christians doing it. The Roman emperor thought it was disgusting because the normal people, they were like, I've never seen anything like this. So the lower classes were all of a sudden being invited by the upper classes to eat with them. They couldn't believe it. And over and over, people were becoming more and more interested. They would open their homes. They would serve strangers. So this is, what I, this is where we're going. It cracks me up. Julian actually decreed, because he was so upset at the Christians, he decreed that the pagan priests needed to outlove the Christians. I'm not kidding. He decreed it. They, they built a system of food distribution. They, they, he started demanding that hostels be built for poor travelers. Why? I, I want to read you what he said. Would you bring up the quote? He said, it's disgraceful that when the impious Galileans, that's what he called the Christians. He just knew Jesus was from Galilee, so he he didn't. The impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but they support our poor as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. They're helping our poor, and we're not doing anything for our poor. Basically, he's saying they are making us look bad. But, so we started all these programs, but guess what happened? Like, within a year, they were all, they all failed. Just like you'd expect, because they couldn't motivate pagan priests to care about the poor. They didn't care about the poor. Julian didn't understand the Christian motivation of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and overflowing out of us. And he didn't understand the power of gratitude and grace. The Christian message that God so loved the world was utterly ridiculous to the Romans. Why? Because their gods loved themselves. Their gods didn't care about the world. Therefore, the people who served those gods didn't care about the world. It was radical. The community of Jesus followers was literally the most surprising society anybody had ever seen. Emperor Julian, he had everything that the world could offer, power, money, he, he was able to persecute Christians. He, he marginalized them and lied about them. Yet their immense love overflowed. And they sacrificed over and over for people they, who could offer them nothing in return. They risked their own safety to run into towns that were plague-filled to help those who had the plague while families abandoned their own people, their own families, their own children, their own parents running out of the city because they didn't want to catch the plague. And you had the Christians who didn't even, weren't even related to the people running in. And in the midst of their suffering, because they caught the plague too, they were dying too. They, the disease did not skip over them, but in their suffering, they sang with such joy to the God they were suffering with, the God who was walking with them in the suffering, the God who they know suffered on the cross. And so they just counted it joy to suffer in his name. And I'm telling you what, Julian couldn't understand it, and neither do people today. Neither do people today. It's so attractive. You can go ahead and take Julian down. I just feel uncomfortable him having, ha- being over this uh, from here on out. Um, you know, it truly is, the kingdom of God is truly the upside down way of God. Blessing those who've done nothing to earn it, making people's lives better, encouraging people, relieving burdens, lifting people's spirits blessing. I don't know why, but I think the image that comes to my mind most when I think of blessing is helping people breathe easier. You know what I mean? Just 
COVID especially has made me feel this way, but you just always feel like there's a weight. Like we have so many dreams that we want to do as a church, so many ministry opportunities, yet we're limited so much by the number of people who are allowed in a building or people's comfort levels because they're scared, you know, and maybe many people, you have um, health issues that if you caught COVID, it could be really serious for you and you got all this stuff going around and so you're always having to make plan A, B, C, and D and you just, it feels like there's this heaviness right now. My kids, my one of my daughters, I won't give her up, Riley, she asked me, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Is she in here? Is she in here? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, she's waving at me. I love this because she asked me, and I didn't ask for permission, so, but this is a safe story. Okay. But she asked me, Dad, can we put up the Christmas tree right after Halloween? <laughs> and I was like, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> we could use some joy right now. We could breathe a little easier. We, wouldn't it be fun just to come home and go, ah. Oh, this is so nice. Now, living in Wisconsin, we actually did put up the tree about two or three weeks earlier than everybody else here. Everybody did up there because it was already it's snowing. Our, you know, where we were, it's snowing right now, and I'm so jealous. But, but I was like, we just need a little joy. We need to breathe a little easier. So don't make fun of me if our tree is up in, in a week and a half, all right? But that's what it means to bless people. As the Father sent me, Jesus said, like, we, church, if you are a follower of Jesus, look at me. We, as the body of Christ, by definition of body, <laughs> we are the tangible presence of Jesus in the world. Like, when we bless people, when we, when we are with people, listening to their story and loving them and, and, and including them in our homes and at our table, we are literally being the tangible presence of God right there in their lives. I mean, what an honor and a privilege. This is not a burden. What, what an honor that we are the body of Jesus, God in the flesh right there with them. I mean, Jesus left his powerful, comfortable position in heaven to come to earth to heal lepers and to forgive tax collectors and to bless prostitutes and entrust fishermen with with us, with his kingdom being furthered, and, and then he was condemned and crucified by spiritual leaders and government leaders. In Jesus, it's like God kneels down, stoops to our level to love on us and be with us, to hold our hand. I mean, it is truly the prodigal son having the father run after him. As the father sent the son, the son sends you and me to know people and be known by them and to serve people and allow them to serve us. It's about being with people. One of my favorite theological words is incarnation. God became man. That's the incarnation. But in the same picture, we, God, God becomes flesh to the world through his church. We're not deity, of course. He is. But in the same way that Jesus becomes man to God's presence, that we are that. We're his body. Amazing. Amazing. I think that when we are that to people, people aren't, don't say, oh, I've done that. I've bought the T-shirt. I don't want to go to church. It's just a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. Unfortunately, I mean, 
How many of you have been judged and felt like you were surrounded by hypocrites? Can I just tell you now? One's preaching at you. <laughs> I'm a hypocrite too. We all are. I, am, I need Jesus more today than I did 20 years ago. Why? Because I, I, I needed him immensely back then too. I just didn't even have a clue at how messed up I was. But the more I, the more I grow and the more I, I get to know this Jesus, the more I realize I need him more and I need him more. I mean, and when I share, when I talk to people like what Hugh did and when you just talk to people and, and my goal in life is not to get them to stop sinning because, I mean, stopping sinning is great. Sin causes us to have all of this bad stuff happen to our lives. Sin is a lie that says, if I get this, I'll feel better forever. But the reality is, it doesn't. I get it, and I feel better for a minute, and then I regret it forever. I mean, so when we try to get people to stop sinning, and we think we're sharing the gospel, that is ridiculous, because if everybody stopped sinning right now, we would still need Jesus. So the goal is love them. And as you love them, they might say, I don't know why my marriage is so bad or I don't know why this is so bad in my life. And you have these conversations. That's why Jesus showed us the way. Let me show you the way. But love them and eat with them and share your story with them and let them share their story with you. And here's the thing that I think as Christians, especially American Christians, we forget is let them bless you too. We are not the ones. It's not like I'm the dad and you're the kid and I bless you. And it, No, a relationship is I'm going to submit to you and you're going to submit to me and I'm going to bless you and you're going to bless me. And that's a beautiful thing. When your neighbor realizes that you're not just one who gives them cookies, but you'll eat theirs too. <laughs> Hint, I love cookies and you're welcome to bring me any. Um, yeah, there's a tangent there. Let me, I want to read to you a, uh, Apostle Peter, uh, just one Two verses that the Apostle Peter said to persecuted believers. This is 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Basically, he's saying the kingdom you're living in, the world you live in is not, not the kingdom, not God's kingdom. This is, this is not the kingdom where you are a citizen. You as a follower of Jesus are of a new kingdom, my kingdom. So don't pursue in this kingdom what everybody else desires because, frankly, you, you know, you're not going to be satisfied. You're gonna, when, when you focus on you and what you want, you, you might get what you want temporarily, but it's just going to create more conflict and more discontent inside. So that's how he starts. But here's where he's going with it. Verse 12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, even if they hurt you, they lie about you, they, they, they make fun of you, whatever, they will see your honorable, honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. What he's saying is, with your neighbor, I don't care if they let their dog poop in your yard or not. <laughs> I don't care if they constantly allow their kids to dig a hole in your, you know, I don't care if they're just snooty or mean or whatever. Live as salt. Live as light. Bless them. Love them. Because most of us don't have neighbors like that anyway. Most of us have neighbors who would just love to say hi and get to know us and not feel judged by us. But he's saying, live as salt and light. Recognize that you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to bless people, to live well among them. Because that's when their eyes will be opened to God's absolute love for them. What we sang about this morning, how does the world know that God has the kind of love that will move mountains and light up shadows and, and run as far as he can together. How will they know that? 
through his body, you and me. That's how they know. The Holy Spirit is constantly drawing them to himself, but it is us. It is us who are the stooped down, God living in us to say, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, we are in this together. It's us. So what do we do? I know. That was, that's a lot. But what do we do? So I have two point, two application steps, all right? Number one, real tough one, commit to live sent. Action step one, just commit to live, live sent. Commit to live as if you have been sent by Jesus. Because you have. You've been sent. So commit to it. Real life is not merely succeeding at work and school and family and business and all that good stuff. Those are great things. They are. Success is great, but it makes a really bad God. It does. So Jesus said, follow me, make my kingdom the pursuit of your life. And when you do that, everything else will fall in place. Follow me, put me first, everything else falls into place. And then the, the New Testament authors, they use all these pictures of what it means to live sent. Jesus said, uh, I'm a, I, he called his disciples and said, I will make you fishers of men and women. One picture. Moses and Peter called it being a kingdom of priests that you, as a people, a community, you get to be the priests that help unite the world with God. And let me tell you what a privilege that is. We get to unite the, reunite the world. Say, God is over here and he loves you. And can I just introduce you and bring you together? It's, it's not about me. It's about bringing, that's what Peter and Moses called it. Paul said that, that we are ambassadors, that we represent God officially. Like ambassadors have the president's delegated authority. We have God's delegated authority to say, he loves you. I promise, I know, I know him. He sent me to you. He loves you. He wants you. He wants to know you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you life. In fact, that's why he came to earth and became a man and died. So we're sent as Jesus' tangible presence in the world. So commit to living sent. Prepare to live sent. That means listening to Jesus' voice, what we've been talking about, and allowing him to fill you to overflowing, and then looking for opportunities to bless people, to actually do something, and that is point two. Commit to live sent, and then actually do it. <laughs> this is really deep stuff, isn't it? Commit and do. All right. So I want to just kind of give you the roll call of some things I thought about. I'm going to share a million things just for a second. I'm not telling you to do all these. What I'm saying is listen to the Lord. And maybe there's just some simple things that you can do or change to live sent. For some of you, 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 maybe you just need to send a note or encourage a coworker. Kids, maybe you just need to do a sibling's chore or a mom or a dad's chore. Oh my gosh, for them to come home and have something done. I'm telling you, that's called blessing. Maybe it's just looking for needs that people have and meeting the need. Maybe it's just loving and serving in Jesus' name, living sent at home, looking at your, your, your parents or your children or your mother-in-law or, or somebody and saying, what do they need and how can I meet that need? Maybe, maybe it's looking around your church family and saying, are there needs in this room? There are. Or maybe it's looking around the church and going, I wonder if there's anybody new here who just feels uncomfortable and out of place. And maybe they need somebody to bless them and say, hey, why don't you sit with me? Or hey, Tell me your name. How long have you lived here? Bless those that don't like you. Bless those that don't like God. 
Sometimes we have this thing that somebody says that they don't believe in God or they're angry or whatever, and we're, we're like, we, we, let, we dismiss them. Bless them. Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's some things we can do together because some, there's something special about serving in your church family that helps you grow in, in understanding how, what it is to live sin and then how to commit to it. Something about working together helps transform the way we think, being a contributor rather than being a consumer. You know, we call it going and growing together. There's something special about going and growing together, about doing this kingdom mission stuff together. And there's so many ways to do that. And it can start by just meeting needs and joining others around you to meet needs. That's what um, the, the whole buddy break thing, that's how that started is some people saw some needs. They saw families with special needs who were just exhausted, you can bring up, is the buddy break slide in there? You can just bring that up just so people can see it again. But this whole thing started because people in the church just said, there are these families with special needs and they need a break. How can we do this together? That's amazing. It's, it's just helping people, looking and seeing the need. It, it's investing in the lives of children and youth. You know, last, next week, Lisa opens up the children's ministry. She's so glad because all she's doing has been sitting around watching TV, right? The entire... <laughs> that's so not true. Um, that's so not true. She's been busier than ever. Um, and uh, it's just been resources and videos and all this other stuff. And, um, but, you know, many of the children's workers, they're still not comfortable coming back yet. She needs people to help. And what's so funny is, and I know it happens so often, you, you start helping out in a church and then you realize you're, you're stuck for the rest of your life. Um, that's not how she does things. I mean, people come and some work uh, every couple of months or some work more often or whatever, but they need, they need that. The youth ministry, there is some of the most powerful things you could ever do is invest in a teenager. Man, I tell you what, teenagers are the most honest, authentic people you will ever get to know. And, and, Mike, you know, they're, they're moving to Wednesday nights uh, for the rest of the, the school year, and we're so excited about that, but I'm just telling you, they need people to invest in kids. Maybe that's the way you can live sent. Um, would you bring up there the email list? There's a contact list. It's probably like the next slide in my, there you go. Maybe you want to talk to Lisa or Mike, and you want to ask questions. Kid, it's really hard. Kids at avalonchurch.org and youth at avalonchurch.org. Maybe you have a great smile. Smile. Let me see. No. Some of you, no. No. This isn't for you. I'm just kidding. Um, maybe you like to make people feel welcome. You know what? Look around. Literally, turn your head and look and see how many people are in this room. It's getting more and more full every week. You know what? We have had at least one or two or three families every single week visit our church but we haven't had any of the lobby teams going on because of COVID and worries and all that stuff. So, but I've had several of you go, it's time. We need to make sure that we have the welcome desk and the coffee and, and the greeters have been doing stuff the whole time. Gina, you guys have been amazing. But we want to, let's start this back up. We need smilers and coffee makers and people who actually know what's going on or at least can figure out what's going on around here to help in the different areas. And so we need you. Do you like to make coffee? Me too. Do you like to drink coffee? Then you need to help make it. Be a contributor, not a consumer. Um, <laughs> but I, we need you. 
this is, this is easy step. This isn't, like, this isn't like living sent, going out in the world and you know, starting a ministry. This is like saying, I will sign up to help make coffee once a month. I'll, I'll be a greeter once a month. I'll work in the, with the kids or the youth or, uh, or, or I'll be at the welcome desk. If you are in, I mean, there is no guilt. I want you to pray, Jesus, how can I contribute with my church family? And if greeting or coffee or welcoming or kids or youth are, come to your mind, let us know. You can text the word teams. That's going to bring up a, a group of a, a bunch of ministries. Just check the ones you're interested in. And what we'll do is we'll send your, your information to the different team leaders. I promise you the team leaders would love to get your name and just share with you what, what you're doing so that you can be a part of the team. Not only is it a, a way to serve and help, man, it is such a good way to make friends. You can come to church every week for two years and feel like you know nobody. But you can't serve on a team longer than a couple of weeks before you feel like you've got people in your corner. I feel like it's easy. It's a great way to be a part. There's other things going on, and I won't jump into them all, but men, I want to let you know. Seriously, men, we have a streaming event coming up in a couple of weeks. It's called Better Man. Oh, you guys are good. I mean, that's awesome. We are better together. It's, the, it's a better man event. It's going to be streamed, but, and you can watch it at home, but don't unless you have health issues because we're going to come in here and fill this place and watch it together. And there's going to be something about camaraderie. We'll have social distancing and all that stuff. It'll be safe. But to have men come together just feels like it makes you breathe easier when, when guys are able to just see other men who, who are here for the same reason. Be a part of this. Celebration Sunday, be a part of that. Come, we're going to be in the pavilion. We're going to have baptism. Maybe you need, have you been baptized? Have you experienced the living picture of what it means to follow Jesus, to die and to rise again? We're going to have a pool out in the park. If you would like to be baptized, let me know. Don at avalonchurch.org. I would love to talk to you about it. It's going to be great, but be just being there. And we're also... If you've noticed a trailer outside, we've had a food pantry kind of ministry where we have had so many bags of food taken by people who are, who are hungry. It's just incredible. And so I tell you what, there have been so many needs met in this, in this community, food and, and toilet paper and stuff. That, and uh, Jennifer and Mauricio Campos have led almost everything that we've done in that area. And Jennifer and Hal Worrell have something they wanted to share with you. Why don't you... Sure. Good morning. Can you hear? Yes. Okay. So um, how did you feel when you watched that video? For me, I was filled with joy to see the selfless love that our church has given to our neighbors. And when COVID started in early March, we started the Love Your Neighbor Outreach. We have about 30 of you, 30 plus people here that have signed up on the outreach team. And you have been delivering groceries. You've been donating your time, donating your resources. Um, building food bags here at the church, purchasing items to go in the f- food bags, and most importantly, praying with our neighbors and sharing the hope and the love and the peace that only Jesus can bring. So I'm happy to say, um, and wanted to let everyone know that since we started in March, we have delivered over 800 food bags out of that white trailer that you see in the parking lot. So that's 800 families in our community that have been impacted. And those are people in need, people that may be out of a job or just down and out and just need a little extra help. So that's what that has been. And we are the light of the world. In Matthew 5, 14, I wanted to read this real quick. And um, Pastor Don, you mentioned this this morning. 
says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So thank you. So my role here is <clears throat> this young lady, my sister, got me involved in this. And as you can see, we've got a small building up there that we're going to build. I've talked John Malloy into being the crew chief. So we've got to get some people with hammers and nails and so forth because we've got to put this together. I also uh, talked a person into pledging $500. This is going to cost us, <clears throat> excuse me, about $1,000. we are going to put it out here in the back. And <clears throat> we need matching funds for that $500. And we're going to paint this red because this young lady had the vision to put this out here and it was red. So we got to paint it red. Uh, so so please come join us to build it. Please help us in this, in this mission that we have. And I'm so, just delighted to be a part of this. Thank you, Hal. So we're going to continue the food pantry, the Love Your Neighbor food pantry. It's the take and go, drop and go. So anyone in the community that needs a little help, they will be able to come in, get a food bag as they have been. And also it's a great place to drop off donations, clothing and shoes donations, which we take downtown. And we bless our neighbors in need with that. So this is something that we're going to do as a church ongoing to continue to bless the needs right here in Avalon Park and our surrounding area. We've also partnered with the uh, Avalon Group, <clears throat> and they're going to be uh, involved with this. In fact, uh, they sent us a reference letter as we applied for the second harvest to help us get food. This is all non-perishable packaged food, but it's going to, I just have a feeling that God doesn't make small plans. You know, we kind of do. But God makes big plans, and I just have a feeling about this. This is one of his big plans. Thank you. Would you two be available to stay in the lobby so if somebody had wanted to either help building the shed or help yes. participating, they can Absolutely. talk to you? That'd yeah. be great. Yep. Thank you. Can you give them a hand? It's hard getting up here. Thank you. All right, so here's the deal. Let's, let's, I, I've gone long, and I, I apologize. Thank you for your patience. It's not the job of you to do everything. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you have called, been called to, you have been sent. Jesus wants to use us to bring blessing and love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness to the world around us. Have you answered that call? Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Jesus, I am so selfish sometimes. I think about me. I think about my time, about my resources. I think about what I want to do. And sometimes I forget that, I forget that I'm sent. And I live work in this. I, I live most of my life in the, in the church. How easy is it for us to be so self-centered? So what I pray, Jesus that for those of us in this room who call ourselves followers of you, people of your kingdom, would you, would, I just pray that we have the courage to say, Jesus, help me commit to living scent. Open my eyes to what that means. Open my eyes to the needs around me, to the ways that I can be your body, your hands and feet and your voice and your encouragement and love in people's lives. And then give us the courage to do it. Give us the courage, Lord. We need you. We can't do it in our, in our own strength. When we try, we burn out. So fill us with your Holy Spirit. In 
your name we pray. Amen.